Right, let's, let's get going. Uh, so as Rachel just said, my name's Rebecca and I'm part of the preaching team at City Hope. Great to see you all here today. And uh, as somebody mentioned earlier, thank you, Paul. Uh, we've just started a new preaching series on the story of Joseph. Slightly warm. And that's because we've got a new kitchen tap out there. For those of you on tea and coffee, this, we haven't done this to confuse you, but it's been installed with the hot to the cold and the cold to the hot. So a slightly warm glass of water, but it's okay. As I, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Honestly, I mean it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> you know, in the summer when you're really hot and your bottle of water gets hot, and my kids always say, oh, it's warm. And I say, it doesn't matter, it'll still hydrate you, don't worry about it, it's fine. Anyway, let's not get distracted. So, uh, the story of Joseph, you remember last week we started, those of you who were here, a new se- a series in Joseph, and we're going to be here till the end of November in this story. So, um, yeah, get comfortable and enjoy it. I'm going to read, I've been given this morning a whole chapter of Genesis, and there's always a decision then about do we read the whole chapter or just to pick bits out, but you guys are okay with me reading the whole chapter, right? It's a good chapter, it's not boring, trust me. So we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to see what we're going to take from it. So the words will come up on the screen, so try and read along and stay with me. I'm going to read the whole of chapter 37. I know Chris started last week uh, with the first few verses, but I'm going to read that as well. And I've called today's sermon, Shattered Dreams, or What Do You Know?, And we'll see why. Okay, we're going to read chapter 37 together. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, or Jacob... So when you hear Israel reference, that's Jacob. He's the same person. Israel loved Joseph, this 17-year-old son, more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. And that's where Chris took us up to last week and we carry on today. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright and your sheaves gathered round and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. But then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Have I gone too far? Beg your pardon. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Goodness. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. 
Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel, Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. So he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And Joseph arrived at Shechem. So you love the way the Bible does this, kind of just Joseph arrived at Shechem. Apparently it's about 50 miles he's gone to find his brothers. He arrived there, and a man found him wandering around in the fields and said to him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Oh, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So... Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, which is apparently about another 15 miles. So he's gone 50 miles at the instruction of his dad to find these brothers who, frankly, are not been great to him. And he goes another 15. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, who's the oldest brother, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Uh, Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So Reuben's idea of rescue (laughs) is great, isn't it? Don't kill him, just lob him in this pit and leave him to see what happens. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So this cistern is a pit of uh, possibly about 20 feet deep, and no water in it, and they just throw him in the pit. As they sat down to eat their meal, (laughs) hungry work throwing your brother in the pit, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, then, another brother, pipes up. What do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So great plan. He's our brother. Let's not hurt him. Let's sell him instead. So the brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Reuben comes back. Joseph's not there. He saw Joseph wasn't there and he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? So they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And Jacob, the father, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. If this was a pantomime, there would be a lot of booing. 
wasn't there? Man alive. Okay, let's pray. We need, we need to pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that every part of it is for our good and for our instruction. And so we pray now, would you show us from your word truths that will uh, feed us and build our love for you and our knowledge of you. Lord, we want to see in your word things that draw us closer to you, things that increase our vision of you, that enlighten our minds, but that enlarge our hearts in worship. Amen. Okay, so we started off last week. Chris talked about, Chris uh, preached a sermon called Dysfunctional Family, Faithful God. And uh, if you weren't here, it was great. I recommend you pick it up on the website because this is going to be a long series, so it's really good if you can keep up with all the different elements of it. And he talked about the fact that God has chosen a family. We started with Abraham, and we went through this family that God had chosen to carry the promises of God to the world. And as we saw, Abraham made some pretty dodgy decisions along the way. And every generation... Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, he has two sons, and he has a favorite, and his wife has a favorite, and they're not the same. And you can read about that story. That doesn't end well. And here we come to Jacob, and he repeats the same mistake, doesn't he? He has this favorite, Joseph. And Chris talked last week about how families, our families, all our families probably, are dysfunctional. They have things in them that are broken, and that often we find the same thing that we find here. The same mistakes keep repeating generation after generation. But he also encouraged us, didn't he, that God can break the cycle and change things in families. And in this family, as we see, the brother's response to Joseph is pretty extreme, isn't it? I mean, I've never experienced anything quite like this at the hands of my sisters, thankfully. But some of you ha have experienced dysfunctional families but the important thing here is our context here, then, is the God of the Bible has given promises to a family. And as we read this story, we realize that this motley crew is that family, is that family that gets to carry the promises of God. You remember God called Abraham? And he said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. I'm going to give you offspring uh, you're going to have children, they're going to have children, they're going to have children, but you're going to be the father of a, no of a great nation, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be a blessing to the world. That's the promise, and this is the family that gets to carry that promise through. You might not be feeling that confident at this point if you don't know the end of the story. <laughs> Most of us do. But there's just a few things that I want to just pull out of the uh, passage before we look at what it might say to us. And it's important at this point to try and forget the things we think we know, particularly if you've been to see the musical, as Chris talked about last week, how the, uh, some of those details are probably not quite accurate. And the first thing that we see here is that God has plans for this 17-year-old boy. Like Ruth, God speaks to him in dreams. And dreams are quite a feature of the whole story of Joseph, as we'll see over the coming weeks. And God speaks to Joseph. He's a 17-year-old boy. Um, he's doing his job. You know, he's sent by his dad 50, 65 miles to check on his brothers. He's just getting on with his life, doing his job. He's 17 years old, and God says, I have plans for you, Joseph. I have big plans for you. 
Your life is going to be about my plans, not yours. And he has these dreams, amazing dreams of, of God promising some sort of big future, elevation. God is going to use him. God speaks to him. And I don't know about you, but I was trying to put myself in Joseph's shoes, and I thought, I might be, quite, I might be feeling quite pleased about that. <laughs> I'm quite pleased about that. You know, there he is. He's the favorite of his dad. He's got this great coat, which, as we heard last week, is more than just a great coat. It's a sign of status. It's a sign of tr the trust that his father has in him. Uh, and then God speaks and says, somehow, in some way, your family is going to bow before you. So I'd say he's, he's on the mountaintop here. You know that? He's on the mountain, isn't he? He's, he's doing pretty well. We don't get to hear. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how he's feeling. We have to kind of try and put ourselves in his shoes and think about it. He could have felt pretty, pretty pleased with himself. But I don't know if you noticed that in a few short verses, things change quite dramatically for Joseph, don't they? They change pretty dramatically. And suddenly, we find Joseph is no longer on top of the world. He's literally in a pit. He's in a, not a metaphorical pit. He's in an actual pit, a hole in the ground, which, as we already heard, has no water in it, which means he's either going to die of thirst or starve to death, whatever comes first. Everything changes in an instant for Joseph. Put yourself there. How do you think he feels now? And then maybe there's a reprieve. They, I don't know what they do. They throw down a rope. They bring him out. So he thinks oh, maybe they've had a change of heart. But no, they've had a change of heart only in so much as they're not going to leave him in the pit. They're going to pretend he's dead and they're going to sell him to this passing caravan of merchants, Ishmaelites, Midianites, both. We don't really know. But he is sold into slavery by his own brothers. Okay, put yourself in this situation. How do you think he feels now? How does he feel, do you think? Still feeling good? I don't think so. I think he's maybe thinking, am I going to get to see whatever those dreams were about? Am I even going to get to see my 18th birthday? Or what is going on, God? What, what is going on? How do you feel? How do you think Joseph felt? How do you feel? It's not a bad question, is it? How do you feel? We say it to one another. We care for one another. We want to know how we're doing, how we're getting on. How do you feel? How do you feel about this situation or that situation? It's not a bad question. But I think there's a better question. And it's this. What do you know? What do you know? We sang some great songs this morning, didn't we? So full of truth. This is what we know. That creed is what we know. We, we believe it. We sing, I believe. I believe it with all my heart. I don't just think I believe it. I think I know it. This is what we know. What do you know? Do you know that he who promised is always faithful? Do you know that whatever happens to Joseph or to me or to you, God will always keep his promises? Chris talked last week about God's concern for his people, his promises, and his plans. And he will never let any of those slip. Hallelujah. Do you know that? Maybe you've, had, maybe you've had shattered dreams like Joseph in this, in this chapter. 
Maybe you've seen things and hopes and dreams just shattered on the ground. Maybe, maybe you've got shattered dreams today or maybe you've got hopes and dreams that you don't know how they're going to come about. And the truth is, I think the truth that we can see in this part of our story is that we can end up in a pit at any moment and probably less likely an actual pit but a metaphorical one. Life takes twists and turns, doesn't it? We'll see later in the story, I'm not stealing anyone's thunder here, that Joseph ends up in prison, falsely accused and imprisoned for a long time. It can happen. But do you know that God's plan revealed in the scripture is to save and rescue and he will never go back on it? Everything in the Bible is there for our instruction, we're told, right? Everything. It's there for our instruction. So what are we going to make of this? Well, we have to remember, we have to remember, you have to remember the Bible makes sense. From beginning to end, it tells the story of a God who has plans and purposes, who has love for people, and who will do what he says. There is no, there is no doubt. This is what we know. Thank you, Sharon. Sharon knows it. So although we see in this chapter, Joseph is down and out, he's truly crashed, hasn't he, from that mountaintop or that pyramid top. There you go. The plans of God are not down and out. They never are. And through this family, amazingly, when we read right from the beginning, we keep looking at this family in the Old Testament, don't we? Generation after generation after generation, just making a hash of things. But God said he would use them, and he will. He will. And through them, he will achieve his purposes. And in Joseph's life, he will, as we will see through this roller coaster of a story of this one person's life, but not just in Joseph's life, in all things, we can be confident. I've never seen Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, unlike Chris. And some of you, who's seen it? Yeah, quite a lot of people actually. It's been around for a long time, isn't it? There's a song in it called Go, 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 Joseph, apparently. And the narrator in the story comforts Joseph at this point and says, Go, 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 Joseph. You know what they say. Hang on now, Joseph. You'll make it someday. Don't give up, Joseph. Fight till you drop. We've read the book and you come out on top. <laughs> okay? At this point, Joseph hasn't read the book. He doesn't know what's around the corner. He doesn't know how God will uh, bring about what he's told him in that dream. He has no idea. He doesn't know them from the beginning. And we don't. I don't know about you, but my life is lived in real time. I don't know what's tomorrow. I don't know what's next week. I don't know what's next year. I don't know what's coming. Joseph didn't know what's coming. He knows God spoke to him. He, he knew that God had spoken to him in dreams. But do you think he's expecting this? Because... This doesn't look like things are on track so much now, does it? Our lives are the same, aren't we? And Joseph, we see in the story, he goes through lots of suffering. This is the beginning of it. He ends up in all sorts of hot water later on in the story for years and years before it becomes clear what God is doing and before God then elevates him as he says he will. 
not for his own purpose, but for God's purpose, for God's plans of rescue and salvation for the nations. But I'm not Joseph, and you are not Joseph, and that is not the, I don't believe that's the lesson of this story. Because for some people, life is lived in that pit for a lot of time, isn't it? It's true what they say, life is made of ups and downs, and sometimes the downs seem a lot more plentiful than the ups. Some of you have endured many things and are enduring many things, and you think, well, where's God? But I think what this story is telling us is not that there may be pits and there may be slavery and there may be prison. All of those things might be metaphorical or actual, but it's okay because one day you will have success and it will all be comfortable again. I don't think that's what's telling us. Because what's not so important, if my clicker will click on. Thanks, Dave. What's not so important is how you feel. Okay? Uh, what's important is what you know. And I really believe that what God is, gonna, is encouraging us today through this story is that if you're on the mountaintop or you're in the pit, what do you know? Think about what, what do you know? What do you know about God? What do you put your hope in? Do you trust him? Do you trust that what he says is true? You see, this family, this dysfunctional, rotten to the core family that we keep reading about in Genesis, is the family that generation after generation after generation we watch go through the story. God's story. But who is born into that family? Jesus Christ. He, he is born into that family. And do you know that he is the fulfillment of all those promises? Do you know that now, because of Jesus, that promise of blessing to the nations, that promise that you will be blessed and you will be a blessing, is fulfilled in Jesus? He's the one who's opened up the blessings of God to all the nations and all the people, isn't he? He's the reason we're here today and we sang those fabulous truths about where we stand forgiven at the cross. The cross of Christ, the one who was born, the very son of God himself, made flesh, come as a man to die and to rise from death and to return to heaven so that we could be those who inherit those promises of blessing and favor. And that doesn't mean that we don't experience the pit, does it? You may have trouble in your life. In fact, Jesus himself said you will have trouble. So, yeah, we should expect that. In this life, you will have trouble, he said. But what did he say? He said, take heart, I have overcome this world. So our hope and our trust in God is not so much about this world, is it? It's a much better hope than that. It's an, it's an eternal hope. It's a hope about restoration, peace, joy, not just in this life, but for all eternity. That's the hope that we have in Christ. It's much better. It's much better than you'll be rescued from, this, from slavery and you'll be elevated and you'll be able to have this great position of authority that enables God to do his work. That's a fantastic story. 
But we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, don't we? We have a hope that goes beyond the grave. Like Tim said earlier, we're never going to get bored of worship when we are face-to-face with our maker. It's, just, it, it's remarkable, the hope. The writer to the... Um, it's working now, typical. The writer to the Hebrews says this. This is in the New Testament, so it's written now to New Testament believers like us. And he says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Amen. He who promised is faithful. That's how we can hold on to hope. In the pit or on the mountaintop, it's not about the circumstances, never about how we feel. Although I believe deeply that God does care about how you feel today. But we stand on what we know of our God, of his truth, of the declaration that he will never leave us alone. You know, we talked earlier about, the, Ruth referred to the Spirit of God. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and he said, you're never going to be alone. I'm going to be with you right to the end because the Spirit is with you. And this is our hope, isn't it? This is my hope today. It's not about, it's not about comfort and um, vindication in this life. Although, let's just say, I'm all for comfort <laughs> in this life. And this is not a faithless message. I believe, I believe uh, strongly in the power of prayer, that when we pray for situations and circumstances, God reacts, God answers like Ruth testified earlier. And he does change things. But that's not where my hope lies. I don't know about you. You know, in Joseph's story, it looks like everything's lost, doesn't it? At this point, I think he probably thinks, uh-oh, this is not going to go the way I thought it was. But even in the pit, even in slavery, God is not absent in Joseph's life, and he is not absent in ours. And in case you're thinking, well, I can't wait till the next life for help and joy and peace and consolation, the good news is you don't have to. <laughs> Because he's here and he promises all of those things, doesn't he? Through the trials. Through the trials. Let's read this. The Apostle Peter wrote this in a letter, which you can find in your New Testament. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God of Jacob and Joseph. He's the same God. He's the God of the Bible. Praise be to God. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And that's what I want to just focus in on, our inheritance. Our inheritance, yes, as believers, is that the promises of God are for us, that he has promised to never leave us, that he has promised eternal joy and life with him. But that inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. Why? Because it's in heaven. It's not in earth. It's in heaven. It's a heavenly hope. Therefore, nothing can take it away. Nothing can ruin it. It can't be corrupted. It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you've had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. 
Have you suffered griefs and trials in life? Are you suffering griefs and trials? Peter says we can greatly rejoice in this hope, which goes beyond the pit, it goes beyond the griefs and the trials. So what's our response? What are we going to do? I suggest what we do is we look up and not down. We look up and not down. If we look at our circumstances, sometimes we're flying. Yeah, sometimes we are desperate, aren't we? If we if we don't look down, we train our eyes and our hearts to look up to him, the one who is true, the one who is faithful, the one who will never abandon his people, his promises or his plans. Then we can stand, can't we? We can stand firm, not just on how we feel, but on what we know and who we know. Who we know. That God of the Bible has made himself known in Jesus Christ, who died for us. That wonderful song. So good to sing the power of the cross today. It's an oldie but a goodie. That's what we know. The Apostle Paul says, no matter how many are the promises of God, they are yes in Christ. They are yes in Christ. That means you are in Christ, a believer today. The promises of God are for you. Amen? Amen. I just want to, um, in closing, read from Isaiah 40, and then Tim's going to come up and lead us in a song which is um, based in Isaiah 40. And there's two things. As we listen to these words and as we reflect on them and allow them to affect us there's two things I think God wants to do he wants to increase our confidence in him to stand and say yes I know who you are God I know what I know and I can stand and the other thing I believe he wants to do is for those of you who are suffering griefs and trials the spirit of comfort is going to come and give you confidence and it may be that he will remove the griefs and the trials quickly or it may be that as you walk through them he will show you how close he is he will show you that the God of all comfort will be with you through it all and as the psalmist said you know we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we all do but he's our comforter and he's with us so allow yourself as you hear these words to Allow your heart to just rise in faith to God. We trust him. I don't know about you, but I've got nowhere else to go. Yeah? He's faithful. The one who promised is always faithful. These are the words of the prophet Isaiah. God is speaking through him. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As we sing this song, which is a repeat of those words, just allow God to speak to you, to comfort you, to give you hope, to show you his truth. If you're on the mountaintop or you're in the pit, we all stand on one thing and one thing alone, and that's the truth of who we know in our God. Amen?